Amen. Well, are you happy you came to church this morning? It's been a great day in the presence of God, and we're so excited about how good God is being to us and how good it is to be a part of the Gate Church right now. And so we're delighted that you're here, excited about what's happening this month. Thank you so much. So many of you have helped us just reach so many people already in this holiday season, and we're going to continue doing that. So thank you for your continued faithfulness, your giving, helping us with these outreaches, and uh, we're, we're just delighted and excited. We're going to start a new series today. We're very excited. We're going to be talking about unwrapping the names of Jesus, unwrapping the names of Jesus. You can unwrap a lot of things at Christmas, but there's nothing more important than unwrapping the name of God, unwrapping who God is in our lives. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Our series will be, uh, will be taken out of this very familiar passage, this very familiar verse in Isaiah chapter 9. And we're also going to look at Psalm chapter 8 this morning. I know Pastor Songo and Sade mentioned it, but Pastor Kathy just sends her greetings and her love to you this morning and uh, sent me a message today. And so we just want you to know she's, thank you for continuing to pray for her, but she sends her love to you. She's very grateful for our support. And we know that, uh, that she is, she's on her way. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Psalm chapter 8, Psalm chapter 8, and verse number 1. The psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how excellent, how wonderful, how marvelous is your name in all the earth. Unwrapping the names of Jesus and today we're going to begin by unwrapping that name, Wonderful Counselor. And so I want to teach this morning on unwrapping the wonder of wisdom. Unwrapping the wonder of wisdom. How many of you could use a little bit more wisdom in your life? We're going to just see what the Word of God has to say to us. Let's pray, and as I pray, you guys can, can bring out those materials that I asked for earlier and bring those on stage. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us today. Lord Jesus, our hearts are turned to you this morning. God, we have sensed your love and your presence so powerfully in this service as we've worshiped you. And Lord, I pray now that as our hearts have been moved, I pray that our eyes and our minds and our understanding would be opened up to the infinite glory that is associated with who you are. We thank you, Lord, that we can never plumb the depths. We can never arrive at a place of saying, I've got God figured out. But you are continually unfolding yourself to us. And our hearts are yearning and they're longing to know you more. So we ask you to speak to us. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears today. Open us up to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
This series, Pastor Kathy had put in her heart and shared with us that she wanted to talk about unwrapping the names of Jesus. And um, I, I began to think about that as we were beginning to prepare and all, all the different ways that we could talk about that. And one of the things that I began to think about was a time when I was a kid and uh, just a little child. And so we brought this um, box out. You know, every kid remembers unwrapping gifts and uh one time when I was a kid, my parents had gotten this gift and it was a box like about this big. And so the box was sitting under the tree during Christmas. And um, thank you very much, my lovely assistant. That is wonderful. Thank you. And um, th this box, big old box was sitting under the tree. And I don't remember how old I was, but I was however old you are when you're just super pumped that you have a big Christmas. And they put it under there like way early. So it was like weeks and weeks of looking at this big box under the tree. And just I was imagining like all the things that could be in that box. Like, I mean, that's big enough to be an amazing gift. I don't even remember what amazing was back then. But uh, I, so, we, you know, finally Christmas arrived. And so, you know, it got time and my dad made some crazy rule about which gifts had to be open. And of course, you know, that gift couldn't be opened until later in the, in the opening time. And so it was just this agonizing waiting. And so I opened up the gift, you know, just like this, like kids do. And I'm, I'm ripping it open. And I get it open. And you know, you, have you ever had a gift like this? And you open it up and you're full of anticipation of like this big, great, awesome gift. And so when you open it, it's like... <laughs> Mom and dad put another box in the box. All the parents out there, you know you've done this evil thing to your children. And all of a sudden, my hopes are diminished. It's like all the things that I was imagining that were in this box, now I know it's down to this. And so, you know, I got, I got my, my trusty knife here. We have nurses on the front row ready and available. So I open up the next box. Man, they really did a good job back there. Y'all pray for me in the name of Jesus, be loosed. So you know how it goes. Then it was another box. And then I opened this one and there was another one, like a shoe box. And then I opened the shoe box and the joy of Christmas left my heart with every box and every diminishment. And I can't remember the details, but somehow like when we got to the shoe box, there was another small box. And then there was some like substantial monetary value that was like very small, you know. So my mom had put like money in there and it kind of restored my hope, but not fully. So the analogy for the sermon is, is going to be limited in its, in its way of applying itself to our lives. Because what I want to say to you is that when we begin to unwrap the names of God or when we begin to unwrap the names of Jesus, we are beginning on a journey that always leads us into more discovery. So when you find a name of Jesus or a name of God, you're looking at a box. And, and the first way that you think about that is you think, aha, he is a wonderful counselor or he is a, you know, a mighty God or whatever it is that you're thinking. And you open that up. But don't ever believe that when you're talking about God, when you unwrap one name, that you've unwrapped all of who God is. Because when you unwrap one name, all you're doing is positioning yourself to discover more of who he is in your life. 
And so I've said this to you before, but we can't ever forget that God is not like a, a history lesson or a math equation. You don't, you don't really just understand God and say, I got God understood or I've got God figured out. No, it's a, it's a continual process. It's not even a lifelong journey. It's an eternity journey of discovering how good God is, how faithful God is, how merciful God is. And you don't get it by just knowing things in your head. You get it by experiencing who God is. So I love the idea of unwrapping because unwrapping means that I've got to involve myself in the discovery process. I can't just read a book about it or listen to a lesson about it or a podcast, but I've got to actually to discover the riches of who Christ is, I've got to engage the process of opening up and unwrapping the gift that Jesus is. And so throughout Christianity, we've begun to understand some things about the name of God. And so God, in revealing himself to us, relates to us on so many levels. And one of the ways that God relates to us is by taking a name. Just the fact that God would take a name is an indication of God's love for us because God, by taking it, God doesn't need a name. God, God doesn't need a name. God is not wondering who he is. God does not have an identity crisis. He doesn't even need a fancy title. He doesn't need you to, to gloat over him or, or to, you know, ooh and all over him. God is self-sufficient. He is self-sustaining. He is, he is the ground of being itself. And so God's not in heaven with some sort of identity crisis, but he wants you to know him. And because he wants you to know him, he will take on a name so that you can understand the name is not for God the name is for me but I make an incredible mistake when I take the name and I use it as something as even kind of the prophetic word that was brought forth is to put something that I can't let God's name put God in a box and that's why in scripture when the first time God asked someone asked God what is his name he gave a really, really mysterious and interesting answer to that. So he didn't say like, you know, my name is Bob or my name is Bill or my name is John or my name is Yahweh. Moses said, God, if I go to the people, who shall I tell them sent me? Like, what's your name? We know you created the heavens and the earth. And we know that we're here because of your power and your word, but we don't know who you are. And so God received Moses' question, and, and maybe God pondered it for just a second or two. And then he said, well, I'll tell you what, Moses, if you're going to give him a name for me, just tell him this, I am that I am. Now, now that kind of begins to boggle our minds because what kind of a name is I am that I am? And when you think about that, it's, it's a bunch of things. Usually names are nouns. Like a name is a noun. I learned this in elementary school. A noun is a person, place, or thing, right? I mean, a name is a noun, but God's name is not like our name. First of all, God's name is not a noun. It's a sentence. And not only is it a sentence, but it's a verb. Because God's name is not static or stationary or able to. That's why God said, don't make a graven image of me because I am not something that can be carved into stone. If you get an idea of me that is fixed and immovable and will always be, then you've gotten something wrong because I am not a graven image. I am a living God. I am a moving God. I'm a breathing God. I'm in. I'm in the midst of you and so I am that I am and Moses said well what, what will that mean and what would that be here's here's what God was saying to Moses here's what it means is that on your journey you're going to need many things and the most important thing that you need to know about God is that whatever you need at whatever point in the journey you're at God can be what you need 
God said, I'm going to write you a blank check, and my name is I am that I am. So when you get to the store and you're out of money, you can just say, hold on a minute. God gave me a blank check. I didn't know I was going to need a healer, and I didn't know he was a healer, but I just got a doctor's report, and I'm going to call him a healer. I didn't know I was going to need someone to heal my family. I didn't know I was going to need someone to provide for my needs. But as I journey with God, I keep on getting opportunities to unwrap more and more riches of who God is. And so the psalmist in Psalm 8 is saying, listen to this. He's saying, oh Lord, our Lord, how? Excellent is your name. There's a lot of different English words we use in that verse for the word excellent, but how majestic is your name? How wonderful is your name? How marvelous, literally, how much we can marvel at your name? How wonderful is your name? How full of wonder is your name? name. When Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, Jesus understood that one of the first things that we have to do to really begin to engage this process we called prayer, which is the process of, of journeying to understand more and more about God, is that we hallow God's name. What, do you, what does it mean to hallow God? It means to, to hold it in awe. And beauty. So one of the early church fathers was, was talking about Psalm 8:1. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And this is what he said. His name was in, in, the, in the fourth century, Gregory of Nyssa said, God, God's name is not known, it's wondered at. It's wondered at. And I think that there's something important that we need to understand that the real appropriate response to God telling us or showing us who he is, is that we just hold it in wonder. We don't, we don't, we don't act like students in a classroom who have the answer to the question. But the appropriate response is that we just marvel at God's name. Whoever God says he is to us, we hold it in wonder. You see, when our knowledge of God focuses on facts and concepts, we're more prone to creating idols. But when we get caught up in wonder, we begin to enter into the mystery of godliness. I get worried sometimes about Christians, and I get worried about myself because I've been a Christian for most of my life, and it's easy for us to begin to too closely identify God with facts or concepts. And, and Gregory of Nyssa warned us, and he said, concepts create idols, but only wonder comprehends anything. See, if you're not careful, your conceptualization of God will create something that in your mind you are entirely too familiar with that you've got figured out. And what you've done is not discovered something about God. What you've done is reduced God to something you can comprehend. So a real mature saint doesn't have a sense about them that they've got God by the tail. A real mature saint has a sense about them of wonder and discovery and amazement. And the Christmas season reminds us of all things that if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you don't become like a know-it-all, you become like a child. Jesus said, if, if you want to enter into deeper experiences of the kingdom, you become like a child. You get wonder restored to you so much so that God's name is wonderful. It is full of wonder. It is full of awe. And so in this series, we're going to unwrap the names of Jesus, but the heart of what we're doing is we're beholding the mystery 
of what we sang about this morning, the Word made flesh. And Luke, in his gospel, invites us to unwrap the revelation of Jesus and behold the wonder of the incarnation. Behold the wonder. Just, just, you know, we get so used to it. I think one of my jobs this morning in starting this series is just to get you unused to it. That's what we need a lot of times. It's just, I'm too used to it. I've heard it so many times. I've heard the phrases. I've heard the word. Can I just tell you that God, the creator of all things, the eternal God, took on human flesh, was conceived in the Virgin Mary, was born of the Virgin Mary, and was a baby laid in a manger. Can you just, you just think about that for a minute? That, that Jesus, the baby, is the, the eternal God made flesh for us? So Luke invites us to consider the wonder of God by thinking about this with me. God wrapped in swaddling clothes. God lying in a manger. God entering a world that had no room for him. God introducing himself in the midst of controversy and misunderstanding. Do you know that when virgins get pregnant, it creates a small controversy? Did you know that when a virgin gets pregnant, it creates a small amount of misunderstanding? You may not know this because you don't know any virgins who've ever gotten pregnant because there's only one, but it still created misunderstanding. And it's interesting to me that Luke wants us to see that when God came, God said, I understand that my coming into the world to save you is going to create controversy and misunderstanding, but I love you enough to endure controversy and to be misunderstood so that I can get to you. Luke wants us to see God in swaddling clothes, God laying in the manger, God having no room made for him because Luke also wants us to look to the end of his gospel and see God not wrapped in swaddling clothes, but God wrapped in grave clothes. He wants us to look to the end of the story and see God not lying in a manger, but God lying in a tomb. He wants us to look to the end of the story and see God making room for us in his world, even though we would not make room for God in our world. Y'all aren't helping me, but I'm going to keep on trying to preach. He wants us to see God transfiguring our controversy and our misunderstanding of one another and entering into it so that we can be reconciled by something deeper that overcomes all of our controversy, all of our misunderstanding, all of our division. God says, I'm big enough to enter into the mess of your world so that I can make it right. And so we are going to do our best this month to just behold the name and the wonder of God. Why should we do that? Like, why don't we just, you know, preach a series on like three steps to a happy life? Well, here's why we want to do that. I want to try to explain that to you and set that up. But in order to know God, we're going to have to have our sense of wonder restored. One of the things that the world will rob you of is a sense of wonder, and the Holy Spirit will restore a sense of wonder for you. Here's why it's important to have your sense of wonder restored, because in our society, we neglect wonder, but we gravitate toward wisdom. And so the trouble with 21st century people, who you used to be one, amen, Sometimes I tell the college students that I work with, I was alive in the 1980s. <laughs> I lived in the 1900s. And they're like, oh, man, why don't you have a big white beard or something? You know, it's like the 1900s. 
right? But us 21st century people, we, we gravitate toward wisdom. We want the wisdom without the wonder. We want the answers without the mystery. I'm going to help you this morning if you let me. But here's how it works. In God, the wonderful and the counselor go together. So if you want the wisdom of the counsel of God, if you want the wisdom of the, of the great heavenly counselor, you have to embrace the wonder of God as he reveals himself to us. So God's counsel flows from his wonder. And wonder positions me to receive wisdom from God. Are you with me? So it's counterintuitive because what we're trained to believe all of our life is that if I want wisdom, I got to get smarter. But actually, if you want wisdom, what you got to do is just get more humble. Because you really can't enter into wonder unless you embrace humility. And if you don't embrace humility, then you won't enter into wonder. And if you don't enter into wonder, you really won't start tapping into the wisdom of God. You see, Paul said it to the Corinthians this way. He said, we preach Christ crucified. And Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God, watch this, Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews and he's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. So in other words, here's what I want to say to you. God has taken all of his wisdom and he's taken all of his power and he's wrapped it up in a gift for us. But the problem is many times we don't get to the wisdom and the power because we don't like the package that God has wrapped it in. So God says, I'm going to wrap it up in a package called Jesus that will show up in your life in ways you don't expect, in ways you don't understand, in people you don't like, in people you don't want to hang around with, in communities that you don't want to associate with. But that's where the wisdom is, and that's where the power is. And if you're too turned off by the package, you'll miss out on the power. Because that's how God's wisdom works. You see, God knows what's best for me. And what's best for me is for me to walk, have to walk a path of humility in order to get to the discovery that I want to get. And if I don't walk a path of humility to get there, then what I discover could destroy me rather than bless me. So God requires me to walk the path of humility in order to get to my discovery so that my discovery doesn't destroy me. Y'all doing all right still? So here's my message in a nutshell, but I do have three points, so just hold on. We're going for a ride. Are you with me? Just, they're going to pop these on the screen for you. Watch this. Real, this is real in a nutshell. Christ is the wisdom of God. But you cannot embrace his wisdom without entering into wonder. And you can't enter wonder without embracing humility. You see, now we're going to get to the story of Christmas. And here comes God in the person of Jesus. And all through the Gospels, we have people who just can't get it. They just can't see it. They can't get their mind around it. They don't receive what Jesus, here's God in the flesh, giving, healing, restoring, blessing, multiplying, doing what God does, but they can't get it. And you know who the people were that couldn't get it? The people who thought they had it figured out. But then there's thousands and thousands of people who were lowly and humble and poor. And many people would say uneducated and confused. But they were just saying, there it is. I get it. I'm on the path of humility. I don't think I've got it figured out. And because they didn't, they were in a humble path. And they were in a posture of wonder. And they were opened up to the wisdom of God. I want to tell you, it's the same for you and me today. No matter how long you've been walking with God. God. The closer you get to God, the more humble you should be. The closer you get to God, the more full of wonder you should be. The closer you get to God, the more curious you should be. Christmas is a time for us to return to the curious and to the wonder. Why is it that 
This is so important. I'm going to give you three reasons and then we'll be done. Number one, because the wonder of God's wisdom, number one, is unconventional. It does not fit the world's definition of practical. And I'm going to talk to you about myself now, right now for a minute, okay? And then that way, because it probably doesn't apply to you. But I like things that work. I like solutions. I like answers. I like to just, you know, if, if it's like a big, long 32-page instruction manual, I'm pretty much going to jump to page 31. And, and I'm going to be like, how do we get that? And you know what happens when I, if that means if I try to put something together, there's like 14 bolts and 16 screws left over at the end. And it looks good right now, but tomorrow it'll probably fall over, right? Because I like practicality. But here's what I want to say to you about the wisdom of God revealed in Jesus is that Jesus doesn't go about saving the world in the practical, expedient, efficient way that we Western 21st century, modern, advanced, technologically speedy, don't even slow down in the drive-thru, order it on my app, roll down my window, let them throw the sandwich in my car at five miles an hour. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. I don't even have time to stop at the drive-thru. I need that thing to keep on. I'll just cruise through and throw me the sweet tea right here. Are you with me? Scan my license plate and charge my credit card. I don't care what happens. I'm on my way. But Jesus comes to save the world. Now, what would you do if you were God? And you decided it's time for me to show up on the world and save it. Well, you'd probably hold some marketing campaigns and let the world know, wouldn't you? You'd probably get a hold of the rich and the powerful. You'd probably, you know, get, get Pharaoh or Caesar or the president of the United States on the phone and let them know we've got an announcement. We need to let the world know. Somebody get. What does God do? God says, Gabriel, go down there and let them know he's coming. Gabriel says, okay, there's a few shepherds down there in a the field. We'll tell them. That's not practical. That's not expedient. That's not even wise. Shepherds were like the lowest profession on the planet at that time. Like it was the stigma profession. Like that's the job you got if you couldn't get any other job. Watch those sheep over there. And they get the news. Angels in heaven saying glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. And the shepherds go, you know, we probably ought to go tell somebody about this. Like, you know, hey. You know, we probably ought to, we just uh, heard some important news. Maybe I ought to go tell somebody about that. God is coming to the earth and he decides to tell a bunch of shepherds. He doesn't inform the world's militaries. He, he doesn't inform any political regimes. He, he doesn't inform any religious leaders. He, he doesn't inform anyone because Jesus does not save the world with ballots and bullets. Jesus saves the world with bread and baptism. So we got it figured out. We know how to change the world. We know how to fix things. You get some bullets. You get some military might. You move some powers. You mobilize the masses. You do what you do. That's how you change the world. And Jesus says, no, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over here with 5,000 people and just break some bread and pass it out here. Some fish, bread. Everybody fishing bread. Let's do fishing bread. Hey, I got a story I want to tell you guys. There was a farmer. He went out selling seed. Jesus, we need you to change the world. I got another story. There was a father. He had two sons. Jesus, would you please do something effective? Hold on. I would, but you know what? There's a 12-year-old over here, and she, her parents think she's dead. I need to go wake her up. I'll be right back. Just hold on a minute. I'm going to go take care of this 12-year-old girl. Jesus, that's wonderful, but the whole world is dying, and we have an efficient way. We have a strategy. We have a plan, but Jesus is intent on doing things Jesus' way, and I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is still doing things Jesus' way. He's always going to be doing things Jesus' way. 
today and he's in the middle of your life right now doing things Jesus' way. It may not be the way of the 21st century. It may not be the way of the internet. It may not be the way of speed and convenience. It may not be the American way. It may not be the German way. It may not be the British way. But it is the Jesus way and it saves the world. So Jesus does things in ways that are not practical. He does things. He doesn't save the world by preserving his life. He saves the world by laying his life down. Number two, write this down. He does things that are unconventional, but he also does things that are unexpected. And they do not fit the world's definition of probable. He was born of a virgin. He was born into obscurity, not into royalty. Mary teaches us that sometimes our inconvenient time is what God calls the fullness of time. Now, here's a lesson of Christmas for you, is that uh, if you asked Mary and if you ran this plan by her for this whole Caesar called a census and it's time for you to go back to the place of your, of your birth and Mary's like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm eight and a half months pregnant and I don't really want to ride a donkey all the way to Bethlehem right now. This is not a, but I got news for you this morning. The way that God unfolds his wisdom in your life, oftentimes what you call an in convenient time, God calls the fullness of time. Because in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman. I don't know who this is for, but I'm supposed to tell somebody this morning that you might be in the middle of inconvenience, but God says you're in the middle of fullness. You're in the middle of opportunity. You're in the middle of a miracle. You're in the middle of a breakthrough. And you say, I don't have time for that right now. And God says, I don't care what you have time for. I'm ready to birth something new in your life because I don't do things in, watch this, what God did, now get this, get this, what God did was not unpredicted. God predicted it. God will tell you it's coming, but what God did was unprecedented. And when God predicts something that has no precedent, you're bound to get confused somewhere along the journey. But if you can get through the confusion, then you'll realize this is what God predicted. It just doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. I didn't know he was predicting this, but this is that. And even though it was predicted, it's unprecedented. I'm ready for God to do some unprecedented things in our lives. I'm ready for God to break out in new and fresh ways. I'm ready for God to surprise us. I'm ready for God to do some things in his people that we didn't see coming. And so it's unexpected. It doesn't fit the world's definition of normal. It doesn't fit the world's definition of probable. And it might be inconvenient. Number three, and you guys can get ready to come back to the stage. The last thing I want to tell you is that God's wisdom is unimpeded. It's unimpeded. Now, here's the tricky part about unimpeded. What I mean by unimpeded is just that it's, it's unstoppable. It cannot be impeded. The thing that gets confusing about this is that when God sends it, it doesn't look unstoppable. See, see, this is how we miss things because we think that when God says I'm unstoppable or I'm all powerful, we think that God has a whole bunch of tanks and he's going to roll them in. But God will predict and he'll say, I am what I'm going to do. He told Isaiah, my word will not return unto me void. It will accomplish what I sent it for. And Isaiah said, that's amazing. This is going to be unstoppable. And then God shows up. His word shows up as a little baby lying in a manger. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was at the manger, I'd say, that didn't look unstoppable. That looks like an ordinary baby to me. I've never seen anybody intimidated by a baby 
Nobody's ever thought, wow, that baby can never be stopped. But God's packages, God's wisdom comes into our lives in ways that confound our understanding. And Paul unpacks this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says, the wisdom of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. So you got to understand, God likes to introduce himself foolishness forward. God says, I'm going to sneak in on your life by putting a foolish front on so that you won't know it's me that's creeping up in here. But if you're not careful, the foolishness will emerge as wisdom and the weakness will become my strength. And so you say, man, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. 2,000 years ago, that's how God did it. No, 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 don't miss the message. The message is God keeps on doing it the same way. You see, the world, right? Watch this. The world received Jesus 2,000 years ago. But watch this. Your world, Dan's world, Jake's world, Bob's world is going to receive Jesus the same way. So our prayer has to be God just like you did it in Bethlehem. Prepare me for you do it the same way. I don't want to be, I know I'm going to be caught off guard to some degree, God, but I at least want to learn enough from the story that I know to look for you in the unconventional places, to look to you in the unexpected places, to look to you in ways that confound conventional wisdom. You can't be discovered in the power centers of the world, but you can be discovered in the mangers and in the shepherd's fields. And I want to be looking for you in all the right places because I want to experience the wonder of your wisdom unfolding in my life. You are unimpeded. There's more I was going to say about that, but I just want to jump to the end. Listen to me. Jesus is executing heaven's plans in your life, and he's doing that right now. I don't have a look out for 2022 message for you. I want to tell you Christmas is all about finding how Jesus is showing up in my life right now. I'm talking about before you get to the restaurant for lunch, Jesus wants to show up. And I don't necessarily mean you down here just all sprawled out, pouring your heart out. I mean, if you do that, that's great. But I'm talking about when you get into the parking lot and the panhandler has a cardboard sign and the Holy Spirit says, say this to them, give them this, show up in their life. I'm talking about the annoying person at the cashier and the, and the problem person. Find Jesus in your everyday life. You know what will start happening? It's when you find Jesus, he'll start telling you to be Jesus. <laughs> you find him in the unlikely places. And then he says, hey, I need to show up there and I'd love for you to be my package. Jesus says, you see that hurting life over there? You see that family member who's struggling? You see that neighbor who's going through a difficult time? Jesus says, would you be my jar of clay? Would you be my cardboard box? Would you take your, would you let yourself be a treasure in earthen vessels? Would you be the vehicle through which I can show up in the wonder of my wisdom in someone else's life? Would you be my package? Can I wrap myself up in you? <laughs> Ooh, if I had time, 
I would tell you that Paul said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And Paul made clear the only way that the glory of the treasure can get out of the earthen vessel is in the places where the earthen vessel gets cracked open a little bit. When the pressure gets too much and the cracks show up, then Paul said the light starts to shine through. So I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm perplexed, but I'm not destroyed. I'm crushed, but I'm not defeated because someone greater lives on the inside of me. It's the wonder of God's wisdom. Come on, let's open up our hearts. Let's open up our hands. Let's lift our voice. Here I am to worship.
Lord, I pray this morning that you would capture our hearts with your beauty, that you would capture our hearts in wonder. Lord, I know that there are people listening to me right now. If this is you, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to just do something on the inside of you right now. But if you say, I need my sense of wonder restored, you know what? There's no shame in admitting that I've grown dull. I've grown hardened. I've grown insensitive to the wonder of God in creation and in my life. And so, Lord, we just asking you right now, we open our hands and our hearts and we say, would you renew our sense of wonder this Christmas season? Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, in our everyday lives to the wonder of what you're doing, to how you're unfolding wisdom in our lives. Lord, forgive us for neglecting or disregarding or ignoring. God, we say we receive your mercy and your forgiveness, and we receive a renewed sense of wonder in our hearts. Lord, we'll never exhaust your goodness and your mercy. We'll never exhaust the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. You are a wonderful counselor. Lord, I pray right now. We're going to open our prayer uh, teams in just a minute, but I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for some people right now. I feel like there's some people that you're in desperate need of wisdom this morning. And I, I, I know that you know, and, and the, the best thing that can happen to you is for you to become aware of how much you need wisdom. And so we just say, Lord, right now that your wisdom is being poured out. You know, the Bible says if you ask God for wisdom, he just immediately responds by pouring it out. He says he'll give it to you if you ask God for wisdom. But here's the thing. The message that God gave me is going to help us because the problem isn't that God's not given wisdom. The problem is we can't see it when it's coming because it's coming different than we thought. So Lord, we're saying, God, open our eyes to see how your wisdom is already at work. We're not asking you to give us something you haven't already given us. We're asking you to give us eyes to see how your wisdom is already working in our situation and in our lives. So Lord, I pray right now for the unwrapping, the unfolding, the unveiling of the wonder of your wisdom in our lives. Lord, for our family online right now, we pray that you'd minister to them. Let the presence, Lord, that's filling this place fill their homes right now. Lord, overflow in Jesus' name. Now, I want to I give an opportunity. We're going to just continue to worship for just a minute, but I want to ask our prayer teams if they will come. Here's what I want to do. There may be some people here today that you need to be introduced to the wonderful counselor yourself. Can I tell you the most simple thing I can tell you is that the wonderful counselor wants to do life with you. You don't have to do life alone. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, you can say, Jesus, I need your wonderful counsel in my life. I need your saving grace in my life. And he'll come at your request. All you have to do is ask him. We'd love to pray with you this morning. If you'll come down, if you already know Jesus, but God's dealing with your heart, and you know that there's wisdom that needs to open up in your life in new ways. I want you to pray with one of our prayer partners this morning. Just let us agree with you today that this week's going to be a week full of God's wisdom. Listen, Jesus wants to do some things in your life this month, this week. And I hope the Holy Spirit can get us ready to see it when it happens. How many of you are in for that? Come on, let's just raise our hands to heaven one more time. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. You, we say you are worthy of it all, and we give ourselves to you. Lord, the thing that you want more than anything is not our song, it's not our praise, it's not even our words, but Lord, you want us. So we say today, the Gate Church is here, and we say we're giving ourselves to you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Open our eyes to it in Jesus' name.